Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 50 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 1st of July 2022 and this is episode 261A. This is a special podcast and I talk to historian and photographer Attila Solari Beravitsi about his recent book titled In the Centennial Footsteps of the Great War. Attila spoke to me from his home in Hungary. Attila, welcome to the podcast. Now, can you tell us how you became interested in the Great War as an economist? Um, hi, everyone. Um, as an economist, I am very much interested in international economics um, and uh, trends and macroeconomic uh, trends. And in order to be good at this, you need to know history. You need to know the history of the different nations. And I was always particularly interested in why nations are competing, why nations are failing, and actually how can they actually turn into a military conflict against each other, uh, why such economic and uh, imperial rivalries can end up in military conflict. And I think the most important event of the past 200 years since the Napoleonic Wars, for me, is the Great War, because it changed the world as nothing ever before or after. So that's pretty much the simple answer to your question. Now, before we get into the detail of your book, do you have any family connections to the Great War? Um, yes, my great-great-grandfather's uncle um, was fighting basically in each of, of the front lines where the Austro-Hungarian army was fighting with the exception of Serbia. So he started in 1914 on the uh, Eastern Front against the Russians in Galicia and as a commander of the cavalry. And um, then in uh, Romania, in Transylvania, and eventually on the Italian front. And uh, he was on the front line from the first day of the war until the very last. It was 4th of November when the Austro-Hungarian uh, army collapsed at, after the Battle of Piave at Vittorio Veneto. And I suppose what, what we don't know in the UK is what is the relevance of the First World War to people in Hungary? Because it has a massive relevance, obviously, for people in Britain. But what's, what does it mean for ordinary Hungarians? Yes, it is, it is very different here in Eastern Europe. Um, basically, the two world wars were started in in the East. And the reason is because while you are um, basically neighboring on the West, the Atlantic Ocean, uh, we in the East are pretty much stuck between the German Empire, the Russian Empire, and the Ottoman Empire. So these three big empires, and obviously needless to say that the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the middle. So these four empires were shaping uh, the the, the, the state of uh, Central Eastern Europe. And Hungary was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. We had two governments, two capital cities under one emperor. Um, Hungary was not in favor of declaring war on Serbia after the assassination in Sarajevo. 
But eventually the Germans and the Austrians uh, pressurized Hungary and the Hungarian government to, um, to approve it, to support it. So when uh, finally we declared the war on Serbia, uh, also the Hungarian government and the Hungarians were from that moment on, were keen to win this conflict. Um, but the war was pretty much uh, lost from day one on both on the West and the Eastern Front. At that time, it was not known, just as we look back in history. Uh, and Hungary was one of um, the countries before the settlement between Austria and Hungary. Hungary was one of the nations of the Austro Austrian Empire. And uh, in the 1867 settlement, um, Hungary became level field player with Austria. And, uh, and by the end of the First World War, uh, all the other nationalities, ethnic nationalities within the empire were pretty frustrated and angry uh, with the two leaders of the empire and particularly with Hungary. So unfortunately, uh, we had no friends uh, at that time in, after November 1918, when the peace conference started in Paris um, a few months later. Uh, in addition, we had a communist revolution in Hungary. So as a result, we had no proper representation in Paris and the Austrians did not take care of us. So by the time we got rid of our communist uh, um, uh, revol uh, uh, revolution, by that time, the Romanian queen, Queen Mary, did a very good job representing Romania's interest among the big empires. So we ended up in 1920 uh, forced to sign the Treaty of Trianon. And that became such a disaster for this country that also we lost 600,000 soldiers in the First World War. But that was not such a disaster for the country as the peace negotiations itself. So there's a very big focus on the peace process and it faded um, the First World War, um, the, the tragedy of the military tragedy of, of the First World War in light of the Paris Peace Conference. So Hungary ended up on the losing side. So and other Central Eastern Europeans, with the exception of Serbia and uh, Romania, were basically hosting the battles on their territories, but really not being real part of it, or it was not their war, uh, particularly talking about the Polish or the Czechs. Um, so it, Central Eastern Europe is, is, is a bit different when it comes down uh, to commemorating the First World War compared to the West, which is a very clear case. You have winners there and absolutely amazing culture of remembrance ever since. So that leads us on to my next question. Tell us about your book and what's it all about? Yes, uh, it became a huge project. It wasn't meant to be such a big one because uh, I, I uh, hosted a photo exhibition back in 2014 at the, start, at the centenary of the start of the First World War. I was photographing already um, the battlefields, both of First World War, Second World War. And uh, then I got some encouragement um, from France uh, that maybe we should do a book out of this exhibition. And at that time, it was a small scale project. But because uh, 
in 2014, February, the Russians uh, attacked Ukraine and uh, invaded uh, Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula. That was for me as an economist, a game changer. Until that moment, I was absolutely sure that war in Europe will not be possible because the economic interest within the globalization's framework is not possible because the interest of any nation is to keep peace and, uh, and uh, boost economic growth. And I saw that the Russians were integrated into this capitalist Western style uh, life. Um, but 2014 changed this. And my whole whole theory collapsed and as a result because of that year which meant uh, the the start of the centennial of the first world war uh, the whole first world war got a different meaning for me um, not just commemorating and remembering our um, great great uh, grandfathers or grandfathers who were fighting in the war but actually i became interested to know more about how these nations sleepwalked into the war because uh, we might be doing the same thing. And in 2014, obviously, I could not imagine that actually uh, by the time the book comes out in March, we have a phase two um, part of the Russian invasion in Ukraine and the terrible war is starting. So actually, there's a reason to look back uh, to how we sleepwalked into the First World War. And uh, I also was, uh, my thinking was impacted by uh, the rise of the Islamic State in Syria, in Iraq. That was also in 2014. And, um, and that, was, that was for me uh, a scary period. So I became more interested in the First World War. And then because I had the, the photos already, and because I went to Sarajevo, uh, on uh, 28th June 2014, then I thought and I, I experienced there the interest towards the centennial. I started to photograph the events of the centenary. And then as it, the whole project became big and I realized I have to go all the way until 2018 and what's more even beyond that. And uh, as a result, the book project became a huge project and a big investment from my side. I had to cover 57 countries because I, uh, I, I decided that I am going to visit all of the countries that were in one way or another uh, home of certain events of the war or were directly impacted by the war. And uh, I wanted to create a book uh, which is unique, not just in Hungary, but also internationally. Um, because obviously the Hungarian market is too small for such a, such a huge project. On the other hand, because you have 57 countries interested uh, in, in the First World War, why not to do something that is, uh, that is an international book? So it was written in English language. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much the story of the book what would you what are you aim to achieve from your book and how do you think it um will help i suppose in a way prevent future conflicts well what i thought about is um that we know very well the black and white pictures uh but um new generations who see all kinds of uh, visual effects on their um, telephones on their computers on their laptops um 
they might be more open and interested in uh, seeing color pictures. So we, we saw um, Sir Peter Jackson's uh, documentary, colored documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old. And it created a huge interest. And it also impacted my thinking that, uh, that actually uh, portraying and, um, the, the, the First World War and telling the story of 1914-1918 through photos that have not been seen before because they were created during the centenary between 2014 and 2021, it may create a totally new um, experience <clears throat> for, for the readers and to young generations. And because very few book is um, capturing the entirety of the First World War, um, my book goes down to details uh, as far as Falklands uh, the Falkland Islands are concerned, or the Samoa, or the Papua New Guinea. I had to go to Cameroon and Togo, and these are these all uh, sites of the First World War that have very interesting stories, but we know very little about it. Uh, we know a lot. You know a lot on the Western Front about your battlefields. We know a lot about the Eastern Front. Uh, both of us know something about the Italian Front and. Uh, a few people know something about the Salonika front, but beyond Europe, it is uh, just a few people really um, have some kind of knowledge about it. So I thought uh, my book will be interesting for two reasons, because it is covering the entire story of the Great War. Secondly, it is telling the story through photos that been taken during the centenary. Which leads me on to my last question is, where can people get the book from? Yes, it's a pilot project what we are doing um, because it, it is, it, it, it's been done for so many nations. Uh, obviously, we cannot go to a print to accommodate all of the bookstores that are available or that are existing in all of these countries. And anyway, those uh, World War I buffs who are really into this story or are interested to, to learn more about it uh, they can be well segmented and identified. Um, I, we assume that many of the people are around the Western Front Association in the UK, uh, around the Doughboy Foundation in America. Um, and this is why we partner with those institutions or organizations uh, who, who are basically a collectors of all the world, people who have some kind of interest about the World War. And we, we come directly to you. The book it can be ordered through its official website. Um, and it is available only in a few bookshops that, are, uh, that can be found on the Western Front. So in Tipval, at Paschendale, in Ypres. So the World War I Specialized Museum's bookshops are, are selling these books. Otherwise, if you are not traveling to the Western Front, you can order it on the website www.greatwarbook.com slash en. Attila, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your That's interest great. and your questions. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. 
The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>